0: same time Australian soldiers were returning from the Second World War, football competitions were being developed in the inner suburbs of Melbourne. Lance Irwin was a VFL umpire during the 40s and 50s. He, along with Fred Forst, built West Brunswick up in under-17 and under-21 competitions until applying for a position within the WAFA in 1959. It took all of 12 months for West Brunswick to find their feet winning the E-grade Premiership in 1960 and by 1964 the magpies were competing in b-grade in the modern era the club is in a rich vein of form competing in grand finals and finals between 2014 15 16 and 17. the dungeons of rantsford oval have been upgraded more than once as the club moves with the times winning from impossible positions is synonymous with west brunswick it's a club run by the players for the players Hearts to hearts and hands to hands are the opening lines of the club song West Brunswick and it's fair to say those words have never rung truer with an incredible culture of inclusiveness that's felt by all who pass through the club. This is the West Brunswick Club in Focus podcast, all thanks to mequacare They've been around since 1959, the same time as the West Brunswick Footy Club. And it's great pleasure that I'm joined by the voice, the face and the best looking man in the Amos, Mr. Nick Armistead, to take a look at the West Brunswick Magpies on our Club in Focus podcast. And he joins us from his home out in Richmond. Hello, Nico.
1: Hello, Joseph. Great introduction. Once again, I was only watching that video that West Brunswick put together just earlier to get a bit of a background into the club. And I mean, it's just amazing what they've been able to do, particularly more recently as we've been involved in the waFA and across social media. And I look forward to delving into that, but also going all the way back to 1959 to where it all began.
0: I'm very excited to do so as well. We're going to be joined by a host of stars from the West Brunswick Footy Club. But for yourself, Nico, since 1959, this footy club has been around and, and part of the Amos. Have you had much to do with West Brunswick in your time in the competition?
1: Yeah, most certainly. I mean, if you look at it from the outside, looking in, um, they're definitely one of probably more progressive clubs. And that's something that I know that they hold their hat on. I mean, from, as I said, the outside looking in, they seem to have struck that perfect balance between on-field success and the importance of off-field culture and why they play football at a community level. So I love that. And you can
0: see in the the photo behind me, Nico, we're going to put this out on social media. You know, I'm big on club jumpers and club colours and The West Brunswick Footy Club, I have a soft spot for because they wear the black and white. They're affectionately known as the Magpies. So what I'm going to do today, Nico, is I'm just going to dedicate this one to the West Brunswick Footy Club, Nico. I'm just going to do the show in McCollingwood Jumper and uh, we'll just get it out here, Nico. Just like the West Brunswick Footy Club, the black and white. We're proud of our heritage at uh, the Magpies and we celebrate it any way we can, Nico. Now... I had a
1: feeling you might do something like this. Oh. I've never seen a bloke's eyes light up quite like they did when I mentioned to you that we're doing West Brunswick this week. And I don't do this lightly because, as you know, I'm a vehement Richmond man. Yes, I you are. I don't have any favourites when it comes into the Vaffa, but because <laughs> we are doing West Brunswick today, yes, I thought I need to get into the spirit of things. So, Joey, I too am wearing... <laughs> have a look at that. Yes. Yeah, now unfortunately it does have the big AFL. It's not actually West Brunswick, <laughs> it's Collingwood. But as you said, it's the black and white, it's the magpies. So I will be wearing this throughout today's podcast because we are throwing ourselves into the West Brunswick. AFC.
0: Uh, Lance Irwin, who I mentioned in our opener, played a bit of cricket with the North Melbourne Cricket Club and he was a VFL umpire. Fred Forst was a scout with North Melbourne, involved in junior footy back in uh, the late 40s, early 50s. So they teamed up. They created this side out in in West Brunswick, out at Ransford Oval and McAllister Oval, which they're still at today. Some of these podcasts we've done, the clubs have moved home grounds and shifted a lot. This club's been in one place for over 60 years now, which is credit to them and their club and at Ranchford Oval. The Dungeons, as their change rooms were affectionately known as, have been upgraded uh, more than once. So it's quite a pleasure to go down to West Brunswick. In your research that you've done, do you want to learn about the most? Is there a person that stands out at this footy club in their history that you just can't wait to talk a bit more about? Well, there's a couple
1: of people who I'll go in a little bit of detail about. I couldn't believe when we found out doing the research that we're a part of the club um, just because of how high profile they are in the Australian sporting landscape and the Australian political landscape. But before all that, as you know, we delve into the For Love of the Game book, um, the centenary book for the VAFA, just to find out what we can about each of the clubs who we do do these podcasts on. I want to go back to 1982, and this is something I want to ask Ocker when he comes on in 1982. Now, this was just after Noel Rundle had left the vaffer in his post as secretary and head of tribunal. He's a bit of a, let's be honest, a bit of a hard ass. Right. And it was no point in going to the tribunal and fighting it because you just wouldn't get off. And he wrote he wrote a letter to clubs around that time as well, basically stipulating that. So he'd left. And apparently there was a more low-key approach to this sort of thing. So potentially clubs were getting a a little bit more feisty at certain times because the vaffer wasn't coming down quite as hard on them for their indiscretions. But in 1982, yes. after the C-section grand final, which was won by Old Camberwell, a brawl broke out between supporters of Coburg and West Brunswick, which competed in the same section. Now, this was big news back in 1982. The funny thing to me, though, is that West Brunswick weren't even taking part in the grand final. What? They were in C-section <laughs> that year but Coburg played off against old Camberwell and West Brunswick supporters were clearly there just to see what happened. Maybe supporting <laughs> one of the teams I'm guessing it probably wasn't Coburg. And they found themselves in a massive brawl of which they did get in a little bit of trouble for. So because that was 1982 and I could got there around 1975, I'm sure he can shed some light just <laughs> on that. They're famous alumni. And this one is the one that I'm really looking forward to learning about. Um, And some of these names, we've got Bob Hawke, Joey. Sorry? Now, Bob Hawke, the former Australian Prime Minister, arguably the most popular Labor leader in Australia's history. He was elected four times into power, which was absolutely unbelievable. And as you may know, he loves sculling a beer at the cricket, (laughs) or he did until he sadly passed away recently. So Bob Hawke played down at West Brunswick. Before he went into office, he played 50-odd 50, 50 games. Absolutely unbelievable because he was a member for Wills at the time, so the local area. In 1980 or 1981, he unfurled the 1980 premiership flag. He did.
0: Now, uh, now, I'm just going to stop you there. I know there's a lot more alumni we want to get through, but someone at West Brunswick has been able to track down some audio for us from Bobby Hawke that day. Out at West Brunswick, let's quickly have a listen to what Bobby had to say back in 1981 when he unfilled the flag.
1: I tell you what, any boss who sacks anyone for not turning up the day is a bum.
0: How about that, Nico? <laughs> Live from Ransford Oval, Bobby Hawke, exclusive.
1: Amazing. He's that amazing. That's one of the most famous pieces of audio in... Mean, Australian history to no, find out that, that was no, that's from, that's from West UK. Brunswick. That's
0: huge. That's, <laughs> that's from West Brunswick. Keep going along the famous alumni if you don't mind.
1: So, we obviously, Bob Hawke, that's pretty hard to beat, but right alongside Bob Hawke, none other than Peter Norman. Who, as we know, he ran in the 1968 Mexico City Olympics and won silver, but potentially the biggest, or not potentially the biggest thing to come out of that was clearly the Black Power salute that happened on the podium during a medal presentation of which he partook in by wearing a badge and supporting both Tommy Smith and John Carlos. And after that, he was um, he was ostracised, as we know, as history tells. It's only more recently um, where he's been recognised for the role he played in social justice. But after that, he was not picked um, for the Munich Games in 72. And so he was around the area and he was... First, he was a trainer down at West Brunswick, down at Ransford Oval. And then he turned to playing for 57 games. and even coached their under-19s. So imagine how fit they would have been back in the day with a 200-metre silver medalist. Still holds the Oceanic record, by the way, for the 200 metres at 20 seconds and 0.6 or something like that. Absolutely <laughs> unbelievable. And the other alumni who I really do want to touch on, because this is one that's close to my heart, particularly recently in the oh. old... Croquet, but Alan Clalland played 53 games for West Brunswick and is a former world croquet champion in 1991, the Samana Kutra Championships. And now that took place for 16 years from 86 to 2002. And he was the first of only two Aussies to ever win the event. And unsurprisingly, he was an MCC member. And as you've alluded to already, their relationship with West Brunswick. So they've got some big, big names down at West Brunswick over the years.
0: I certainly do. Now, this is not for this kind of podcast, but once, one day I'm going to get you to enlighten us all on what the bloody hell croquet is and why you love it so much. Save your, save your powder now. We'll do it on another edition. You uh, <laughs> decided to just conveniently look over the current CEO of the Collingwood Footy Club who won a Best and Fairest there in 1995 in Mark Anderson. Of course, they've got one of the more renowned women's sides one of the more uh, remembered women's sides, I suppose, the way they've come into the competition and had the success that they've had. They're also known, Nico, to win games from just about anywhere, <laughs> dead and buried in the water. They're calling it the yoink down at West Brunswick. And uh, hopefully Polly or Beth can recount the story of the day in the women's under-2018 uh, grand final where they hadn't scored against Old Geelong. It was 22-0 to zero at three-quarter time. And uh, they came from the clouds, they won the game, and then apparently ringing around the ground, just yoink, yoink, yoink. Now, nah, not surprising
1: because of, that started with obviously the men's a few years ago, but I know we're talking to Ben Sexton later, so on that same note, I look forward to delving into that 2015 grand final, Division Three, where they took on the Emmaus and Leos, and they were down by I think 26 points at three-quarter time. And one of their favourite sons and one of their greatest ever players, Bill Irving kicking the winning goal. So I remember that. I was at Trevor Barker Oval. So clearly the yoink is something that's come into their vocab over the last few years.
0: I don't think I've been excited to chat to a guest on our Club in Focus podcast series more than I have chatting to this man who's about to join us. His name is Stephen Ocker Fife. He's been around the club for more than 40 years He's an ex-player, captain and president. He's been writing the club newsletter, The Bird's Nest, for over 30 years. He currently still is a qualified massage therapist and involved in helping to get injured and sore players back on the track. If that's not good enough, at one point he was the game's record holder for the club back in 1995 when he played game 312. He joins us now. Hello, Stephen. Hello. How are you going? You're going well. Uh, Have I missed anything out there or is that everything?
2: Oh, no, there was a a few other bits. I was a club umpire for about 12 years. But (laughs) no, no, that's a fairly good summary. I'm pretty happy with that.
0: Let's start with the uh, 312th club game, which was a club record back in 1995. In terms of your playing days, there's a lot we're going to talk about. Uh, How did it start? And when you got to the game's record, what were the celebrations like?
2: Uh, It was uh, a bit of a a mixed bag. When I started, it was... uh, in 1975, I was uh, lured down the club by uh, uh, Ricky Brockwell, who is another amateur um, celebrity. Um, Ricky Brockwell and about four or five of us were were budding under-19 players with uh, various uh, pursuits. None of them were about football. And uh, someone said, listen, you boys, why don't you come down and uh, have a proper... Uh, game on a Saturday afternoon. So we went, there were six or seven of us recruited to the under 19s. The next year, 1976, we won the flag. Suddenly, here we were, second year in football, celebrating um, a club premiership which hadn't been uh, done for 15 years. So it was a very exciting time to be involved in a footy club. The joyful part of the milestone side of things, in the season that I uh, became the club record holder, Um, I had uh, an injury for the first time in 20 years uh, following the last of our practice games before the season began. It was uh, quite annoying because I was on 299 games and uh, we played a practice game out in some bloody desert strip and uh, I got (laughs) a a rather nasty injury at the back of my uh, knee which kept me out of uh, the game for seven weeks. So I had to play the 300th game on round seven and then I played the end of the season to get the record uh, at the second last game. So um, that particular season, I was um, feeling very old, (laughs) very very like, gee, I think I should retire. It's getting a bit like that. Um, There was many, many past players who came along to uh, give me a pat on the back and buy me a beer, which... um, at the time, seemed like a good idea, but uh, <laughs> anyway, it was uh, just one of the great joys of playing football, really.
0: And did you write about yourself in the bird's nest in that year, just every week? Steve Ocker Fife <laughs> getting closer to breaking the record.
2: Uh, well, the um, the great part about um, a footy newsletter is to try and capture the mood of um, the club at the time. So obviously, um, in our successful years, you uh, you pump up what great work different um, players do uh, or different uh, moods that the club was going through. So my role as uh, as the newsletter editor was to, A, uh, let the good news get uh, plenty of foreplay. And then when we had something not so good, uh, try and put a bit of a, a spin on it so that the, um, the club was looking okay. we report on our matches, obviously. we report on um, our sponsors and certain things that they were doing, the sort of uh, uh, products they had available. We'd also obviously promote our social functions. So we'd have a, a bit of an event uh, planning uh, information and what to expect at the functions. We also had a, uh, maybe every two or three weeks, had a dig at the amateurs or the umpires as to, you know, what's the interpretation? (laughs)
1: Because I
2: uh, was an umpire, and and so I used to like to uh, uh, ask if an umpire is 70 metres away, how can he tell if someone's been pushed in the back? But anyway, don't go there. And then um, we'd uh, variously have guys playing their 50th game or um, 100th game or whatever. So generally a, a milestone of 50 games... I thought, oh, yeah, ho hum, but the guys who played their 50th game, I used to uh, write about their incredible football ability and wonderful things like that. I didn't really appreciate how much uh, those guys understood of that until I went to um, a, few, uh, a few parties, and, and there would be the write up I made up about a, a various player, you know, enlarged in A3 print put on their toilet wall or whatever. So I thought, oh, okay. So so people do really um, appreciate some of this sort of
1: stuff. Now, Ocker, we are told that you are the West Brunswick version of an encyclopedia. You just know all the facts, you know all the information from across the years. And I want to know, it may have been a little bit before your time getting there in 75, but we were talking earlier about a couple of big-name alumni who were part of the club, played 50-odd games each in Peter Norman and Bob Hawke. I know that Bob was there to unveil the 1980 senior flag. What can you tell us about your memories about particularly those two gentlemen?
2: Uh, I'll start with Peter Norman. Peter Norman was the boundary umpire for West Brunswick in the 70s. And it was his uh, endeavour after the uh, 68 Olympics to uh, try and keep fit because the athletic season is in uh, summertime. So, Peter was a a uh, student-slash-athlete with Neville Sillitoe as his coach. And uh, Neville said, oh, if you guys run the boundary, um, that should give you, you know, a few kilometres during the week. And um, after the um, Mexico Olympics, where uh, Peter did his famous salute, uh, there was a little bit of a misunderstanding, I suppose, by the Olympic people. And uh, Peter... After 72, decided that he would actually become a player rather than run the boundary. The funny thing is he was a great personality, larger than life, but he wasn't such a good footballer. <laughs> so he'd get on the field and, and obviously one of the opposition players said, oh, hang on, I, th- I know that, Blake. He's, um, he's that fast athlete. Uh, so I ended up playing probably about 30 games with Peter and um, there was a few guys who uh, foolishly would get the ball recognised that Peter was on the field and, and do things like have a bounce or try and you know, run that two or three bounces down the ground um, as, a, as a test of, um, of their speed. Peter would uh, look at him and he'd say, uh, Ocker, if that guy does that again, I'm going to kill him. (laughs) So (laughs) so invariably, uh, the characters had taken on and and Peter, like uh, the great gentleman he was, he'd chase him down and say, all right, gotcha, you bastard, and give him a very solid... (laughs) Um, But as I said, that was... uh, the, the unfortunate part, he wasn't taken on the footage, so he never actually got the ball and did 10 bounces himself, which he would have been uh, able to do, but uh, that was another story. And as to the um, unfurling of the flag by Bob Hawke, it was um, massively exciting. Bob Hawke was the member for Wills in um, 1979, I think he was elected, and um, West Brunswick fits, fits under the um, the Wills electorate our uh, president wrote a letter to the member for Wills and said, um, would you like to uh, be our number one member in 1980 and, and uh, if you've got nothing to do on a Saturday afternoon, if you could come down and um, unfurl our premiership flag. What was really great was uh, Bob Hawke was very keen to get to know his community and that type of thing. So he said, yes, we can do that that sort of started that and we, we exchanged dates and things like that. The uh, interesting thing is I think Bob was then becoming closer to being the Prime Minister. So uh we thought we'd get sort of the local poly, which which turned out to be uh, an event bigger than Ben Hurst. So there was security people, there was cameramen and all sorts of things that um, made a simple flag unfurling and I think it takes up to five minutes. <laughs> it was becoming a big event. Maybe it was fifteen minutes. Anyway, it was uh, it was exciting and, and Bob Hall was our number one member for about three or four years and he, he did send us a, a letter towards the end to say, Oh look, thank you, um but I'm uh, I'm now getting uh, in requested to be uh a lot more than I used to be, so um I'll relinquish that uh, position which was which was uh, significant in uh, nineteen eighty four and um as his uh, journey in life went on uh became even more significant in you know, Amateur football sense I would suggest
1: Can I ask you about Something significant That actually happened In 1982 And we spoke about it During the opener I was reading through The For Love of the Game Centenary book And West Brunswick Found themselves In a bit of a brawl Or supporters did anyway At the C grade grand final Between Old Camberwell And Coburg So West Brunswick weren't even playing in the game, but they got a bit of a whack from the VAF of getting in a brawl with Coburg supporters.
2: All right. Well, I told you, our our newsletter did involve uh, writing up various things about um, the amateurs and clubs and and whatever. And back in the 80s, um, the amateurs did allow the um, players to have a a beer on the boundary watching the game. So the um, current... Uh, mood of uh, no alcohol etc etc was possibly stemmed from those uh, brawls that you're talking about but basically um West Brunswick and Coburg played in the 1981 premiership and we both moved up a grade Coburg won the 1981 premiership and uh was sort of whenever two rivals meet in the following season there's generally a little bit of uh Anger from from the grand final the year before. It turned out that both our seniors and reserves were in the final, and and it also turned out that Coburg won both of them. So uh, the super summary is we didn't really like them very much. So when the um, finals came around and and Cabo were in the um, in the final, there was sort of a dozen uh, West Brunswick players said, "Oh, look, we're not doing anything. The sun's out and shining." Why why don't we go down and boo Coburg in the grand final just to uh, stick it up, uh, (laughs) as uh, the Grand petty would say. Because they allowed you to have a beer while watching the game, the boys sort of got a little bit, um, we'll call, um, excessive in some of their criticism. And also what happened at the time is that Coburg reserves were also at the game, as you'd expect, and they were also having a few beers. As the uh, game got to uh, the latter stages and Coburg were losing, the uh, West Brunswick, uh, we'll call it uh, comments, about their football prowess was starting to uh, (laughs) annoy a few people. So um, I think it was just a case of uh, too many beers, uh, footy's an emotional game, and um, as the game finished and Coburg walked off all the reserve players, from the Coburg team uh, watching the game and the West Brunswick boys uh, said oh enough of this <laughs> and, and as you know in those days there used to be a, a no melee rule so if someone throws a punch well everyone has to be into it so it was uh, something like the old barroom brawls that you would have seen in, um, in the wetlands where uh, Blake's were <laughs> blokes felt uh, they had to get involved didn't they anyway the amateurs didn't take too kindly and uh uh, I think about two years later they, they brought in a an alcohol ban and um, sadly clubs such as West Brunswick and Coburg uh, seriously <laughs> objected <laughs> on the basis that they were ruling our footy. But uh, <laughs> anyway, that's, uh, that's history and uh, probably a good thing anyway.
0: Can we just take you back to one other proud moment the club holds? It's the 50-year anniversary in 2008, the year you claimed the premiership. I mean, what was... Uh, like on that particular day, just to see the club run out there and then win the grand final in a year that probably meant so much to so many people.
2: The uh, strange thing is, it's just so joyful when the club's been through highs and been through lows, and I I'm one of the few who try to uh, remind the uh, the readers through the bird's nest that um, in the 50 years we've been in the amateurs, we've been um, promoted about 15 times, demoted about 15 times in 20 years, we stayed in the same grade. And I would um, kind of let out these little secrets as we get closer and closer to the grand final uh, with a view to hope that people uh, uh, savour it as much as they could. And and the simple thing is, a winning grand final is massively exciting. But the 50th year celebrations we had, when you're in a situation where the club's winning games, Means you get bigger attendance at the functions. Everyone's in a great mood. They talk about September with with uh, feeling, and uh, and it's just one of the great things about football. And and in every year that we have won the Premiership, whether it's a fifty year or a sixty year, or even way back in uh, the first year, um, it's just so uh, the only feeling you can get is having done it. It's it's not one of those things you can transfer to someone else, and. When you're in it and, and see people smiling, kind of wipe their smile at their face for three days because, uh, as you know, you have to have your mad Monday and your mad Tuesday and your mad next other week. So people are still smiling three days later. That, that itself is so gratifying and exciting. And as I said, there was a time when the club was on its knees and we were going to be close to folding. We managed to hang in there and, and then when the wheel turns, it's, it's just so joyful. It's great.
0: It's been a pleasure catching up with you, Steve, and, and reminiscing about some of the moments across uh, the West Brunswick history of the last 60 years. We hope for your sake and for everyone at West Brunswick, there's 60 years plus still to come with the Black and White Army. Take care of yourself, Steve, and hopefully we got footy back in the not-too-distant future. Yeah. Thanks for joining us.
2: No, no, it was my pleasure. Thank you very much. Good on you.
0: We're about to chat to the former president and the reserves coach, Benjamin Sexton. He's been around the West Brunswick Footy Club for a very, very long time, and he's been good enough to join us on the Club in Focus podcast. Hello, Ben.
3: Hello, gentlemen.
0: Take us back to the start, Benny. Uh, how did you get involved with the West Brunswick Footy Club?
3: It's quite strange, really. I, um, I was playing pub football um, just casually in 2008, and there's a couple of players uh, on the pub football team who after a game said, "Oh, why don't you come come play West Brunswick?" We, we you know we've just won the flag. This was in 2008 when when, when won the uh, senior flag in D4. But so I, oh, I haven't played footy in a little while or proper football, and so I wandered down in um, early 2009 and just loved the place. As soon as West Brunswick got their teeth stuck into me, I. I just didn't want to leave. Just started from there.
1: So it started there. It went all the way to, as Joey said, you president for a period of time. And I want to take you back to 2015, Ben. We've been talking about some of the grand finals, particularly the recent ones with West Brunswick. And the 2015 was one of your famous fourth quarter comebacks. Now, we'll ask you about the rise of the yoink, we have been told. So I need to find <laughs> out what that is. But in 2015, you are playing at St. Leo's and you're down by 26 points at three-quarter time. And I remember being at that a game out at Trevor Barker Oval, an absolutely outstanding finish. Was that one of the highlights that you can see looking back on your time at West Brunswick?
3: Yeah, most most definitely. That was, that was probably, you know, fairy tale stuff. Yeah, for, for uh, Bill Irving, uh, you know, kind of prodigal son to come back to the, to the football club after spending time playing at higher grades you know, VFL-level old Melbournians and then out in the bush for a while to come back and and then kick the winning goal to put us up by a point in a grand final was, was kind of almost too much to bear. But, um, yeah, certainly brought the house down and, and the club was just rejoicing.
1: What is – we'll talk about, Bill, because on your website you've got about four or five greats of the – West Brunswick Amateur Footy Club and Bill is clearly the modern day player when it comes to those greats. What can you tell us about him and the impact that he has on the playing group and, I guess, the club as a whole?
3: Uh, He's very, uh, very electric player. He's off the field. He's, you know, talkative, passionate, like a real sports nut. Loves, you know, NBA. uh, Plays quite high level competitive basketball Um, when he's not playing football. A guy who's very excited about being alive, you know. He came to West Brunswick as a kid from Hillsville, um, who didn't really know what actual division we were playing in. We said Division Two, and um, I think in his mind was B grade, but <laughs> of course we know was not not B grade. Won uh, league B and f club B and f in his early days, and went away, and um, and then sort of when he came back, he was this sort of elder statesman, where he was the youngster um, in his early time at West Brunswick, and um, being in a more leadership position, he just kind of took people under his wing, You know, became more of a, the teacher than the student. And then, of course, when he um, took up the, the senior coaching role last year, um, that kind of solidified that even more.
0: You mentioned uh, 2015 and Bill Irving just there, but in this window of the last four to five years, uh, 2014 shouldn't go unnoticed either, beating uh, the undefeated Hawthorne side in the grand final, Benny. And in 2016... You made a Division 2 semi final and then 2017 Division 2 grand final. I mean, that's a, a nice little window of successful on field stuff for the West Brunswick Footy Club. In your time there, I know you mentioned 2008, which was the 50th anniversary of the club and that included the Premiership. I mean, how fondly do you look back on the last four to five years of the club?
3: Uh, very fondly. From 2012, um, I think very much healthy on days for, for the football club because in 11, we'd been relegated back to D4, um, lost a coach um, who'd been there for one year, and then along came Angus Hamilton and Matthew Drain. And they, in 2012, just really started to put in the building blocks of a game style that was going to be competitive at D4 level. And then from there, we just kept on plugging away. We were able to build a bit of a winning culture. And then that premiership in 2014, that, that kind of maybe not more special than 2015. You you know, they're all special in their own way, but that really um, crystallised what we'd been working toward Uh, and to to put in that effort that we did on that day just made everyone really proud of what we'd we'd achieved up to that point. And then going on from that, as you said, moving up the divisions, but also 2016-17, developing our uh, women's football program. You know, it's just seen the club grow numbers-wise, but also change and grow in a uh, cultural and, you know, probably spiritual direction as well.
0: You mentioned the, the 2016 stuff and, and the women. Uh, I read uh, earlier on this week when we were coming up to do this podcast, the the vote, the say yes vote, uh, you guys were almost the front runners of, of local community footy to get on board, the marriage equality and that kind of thing. I mean, how big a role did you have in all of that at the time?
3: I, I was certainly um, a proponent of it but I've got to really tip my hat off to um, our then senior coach, Angus Hamilton, who, you know, he, he was really driving it amongst the, amongst the players and the whole the whole club. And, um, you know, with him as senior coach and myself as the president, you know, we kind of provided a, a unified front, but, but definitely behind the scenes, Hammer was, you know, urging me to, to, you know, contact other club presidents. And, you know, that was met with varying uh, responses, but, You know, certainly glad that um, I did it and have absolutely no regrets. and, And I think the country's better for it, you know, the result, the way it went.
1: Ben, we're here to celebrate, obviously, the histories of our clubs. And as part of that, it's important to reflect on those tougher times where the club pulled through. And quite honestly, I'm not sure that there's any tougher time than when they lose one of their very own. And this happened to West Brunswick in 2016 with the passing of Shane Devers. Can you tell us about how that affected the club and how as a club, West Brunswick pulled through together.
3: Yeah, Shane Devers, uh, you know, may he rest in peace. He he was a he came to the football club the same year as I did in two thousand and nine, and you know was a an electric player, small forward, um, sort of started as a mid and then small forward type, but just a kind of real heart and soul type. And we just played uh, week one of the finals in two thousand and sixteen, and then trained the Tuesday night preparing for limb finals that weekend and um, that evening he he just he didn't wake up after that night and the news got around on 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 the Wednesday and you know everyone was just in in shock and you know he's only 29 years old um, certainly a lot of tears that that um, the Thursday night when we were meant to have training we, we just we all got together at the club um, I think we you know had a barbecue and just had a few drinks and and just you know, got around each other, you know, to then play a two preliminary finals two days after that was was really one of the one of the toughest things I think I've ever been a part of. Again, you know, with Hammer Angus Hamilton being a big supporter, as uh, I mentioned before, with uh, marriage equality, he was, you know, this was my first year as president. Um, him being the senior coach and the kind of elder statesman of the, of the club, he he was really my rock. Um, and I think a lot of people's rock to, to lean on. Uh, and the way he coached uh, that day against Preston, who went on to, to win the flag, you know, was very touching. And I think I've got to also mention Preston's uh, senior coach uh, who came into our rooms before they'd even sung the song that day and, and offered his condolences. So, yeah, thank you, George. But it really showed how good community football and VFA football can be. Um, there were bigger issues on the day. Um, But, you know, we played football and I'd like to think we played in the right spirit. The football was very much uh, in the back seat because we were mourning the the loss of a a family member, really. Uh, Hammer um, and um, Craig and uh, Gus Campbell, the, the two coaches, they gave everyone the opportunity that, you know, if you don't want to play, no one's forcing you to play. You know we're we're gonna go out and, and play footy because that's what we f- we felt would be the right thing to do but no one was under any obligation to play if they didn't feel like playing and I don't think anyone decided not to play um, that Saturday the the twos we we got up so you know the, the following week went through to the grand final the seniors lost and um, yeah the, the funeral was held the following Thursday um, in the grand final on the Saturday which uh, unfortunately, we lost to Melbourne High um, in a close one. But that two-week period was was very challenging. But you know, like really nothing in comparison to what Shane's family would have been going through at the time. Because yeah, they're just such a a, a ripper ripper family. Um, and for them to lose someone so dear to them at only 29 years of age was yeah, you just can't can't really describe
0: that. I think it's absolutely fantastic the way you've spoken about him, Ben, and the fact that the footy club still holds an annual cricket day to raise money for the Epilepsy Foundation in memory of Shane. Now, Joey, I need to ask Ben this because I feel like
1: right now we're only talking to one half of the Sexton clan when it comes to West Brunswick. There's AFC another half. There's a better half, you telling Sheena, me. The better half. Sheena absolutely <laughs> has found herself intimately involved as canteen, uniform, merch, social manager. Wow. In 2017, the club person of the year where she won a David McAllister Perpetual Shield. Need to ask you, Ben, did you meet Sheena at the club or did one bring the other one down and get them involved?
3: Uh, I certainly did not meet her at the club um, <laughs> in two thousand <and laughs> We've been yeah. together since 2009. Um, yeah, funnily enough, the same year I joined West Brunswick. But when I became the secretary and then the president, the football then becomes well and truly your life. And so, uh, you know, the home situation was, was very much football. It could have gone either way. We could have uh, split up and... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> chalked one up to the football gods for the uh, ruining of a relationship, or we uh, could have gone closer together. And, and so she got involved at the footy club, um, and and just kind of got an awareness of, oh yeah, this is why we love the game so much, and why we, you know, show up every Saturday. And there's just a big sense of camaraderie. Um, and so when she tapped into that, because she'd never really been a sports person, I think she uh, kind of knew why i loved it so much and she started to love it as well and became involved in the committee and she's definitely been my rock um throughout my presidency um and you know my life in general but uh yeah she she's just she's quite a character as well you know she she's got uh exacting standards and um if you've enjoyed the uh, quality of our canteen you can thank her for not accepting any poor substitute
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, Nick and uh, Andrew Leonard on Vafford Tragics hold every club canteen to the highest of standards Benny so I'm sure that, and they do speak quite glowingly about uh, the West Brunswick canteen I have caught up with that throughout the years, uh, last one before we let you go, now there's a, a common theme in all the people that we're speaking to about the West Brunswick footy club, it's the culture of inclusiveness, so many great people but if you were to sum it up in a couple of sentences Benny, what does the West Brunswick footy club mean to you?
3: Yeah, that's a tough one. Probably home for me. You know, you can just roll up and people are happy to see you. You can bring someone who they've never seen before and they'll be eager to meet them and find out what they're about and there's never any judgment and I just love it.
0: And I'm sure they love having you part of the footy club, Benny. Uh, thanks for joining us on the Club in Focus podcast. has been great to spend so much time with you, looking back on your time there and, and hopefully looking forward to some footy in 2020 and beyond. Uh, thanks for joining us.
3: Beautiful. Thanks, Nick. Thanks, Joey.
0: Great to hear from Benny Sexton, the former president of the Footy Club, a man who was instrumental in getting up the West Brunswick women's footy side of things. Of course, still a significant member of the West Brunswick Magpies. Nico, before we have a chat to our next couple of guests, I just want to go back to a piece of history. Now, you and I had a bit of fun at the start of the podcast about wearing Collingwood jumpers, the black and white stripes, the Magpies, all of that. The jumper I've currently got on, which you've put out on social media for people to see, is Collingwood Heritage Jumper. Back in 2003, the AFL introduced this heritage round and Collingwood played the Brisbane Lions on the MCG on August the 9th. I bring that game up not because uh, Collingwood were dominant in that season, unfortunately didn't win the grand final. (laughs) Another story for another day. But if people who were at that game remember and got to the ground early, they would have seen the West Brunswick Magpies play against Fitzroy On the MCG, as a curtain raiser to that game, Collingwood and Brisbane running out in their traditional old-style strips with the collar would have seen, of course, the West Brunswick Magpies in their black and white stripes and we know what Fitzroy does to celebrate their illustrious history. How good would that have been to be part of that game back in 2003?
1: Absolutely. That is actually really cool. Clearly the two sides being neighbours over there in the brunswick Fitzroy sort of area. And one of the guests we're going to have on later today had a foot in both camps at one point. And Nick Mitchell used to coach Fitzroy and played there during his heyday. And now he's obviously senior coach of West Brunswick. No, um, those two clubs, and I know for a fact that they get on quite well. They're both uh, great clubs to be a part of. And I assume did you do you have a score from that from that game?
0: Uh West Brunswick beat Fitzroy by a point. Woo! And it was a belter. You totally made that up, didn't you? I certainly did. But it's absolutely outstanding because any team in a Collingwood jumper gets the job done every single week. And of course, this is a Club in Focus podcast and we're focusing on West Brunswick. So naturally they won that game, Nico. I don't actually know what the scores <laughs> were. Nico, there's another pretty cool story I just want to talk to you about briefly i used to be an avid fan of the footy show on a thursday night billy brownless used to go out to local footy clubs and spin the wheel did you used to watch the footy show and did you ever see a side from the Amos appear on the thursday night afl footy show well it's funny you should say that i did and
1: in fact it's the side that we're focusing on today no way um it- in West Brunswick, I know. The coincidence, uncanny. So they were once featured on the footy show with Bill and BT. Both went out to the club for a um, spinning the wheel segment. And one of their players, who they've gone by the name of Lockie, we don't have a surname, but Lockie um, challenged Billy to a wax off.
0: Oh, boy. And they both
1: had pretty decent chest hair. Now, I've done a wax off before. Joey, have you really? It is not fun. He's not fun. I've never let my chest get back to that stage. <laughs> but they've both done it. And because they both had pretty hot wax live on air and it drew blood and apparently Lockie had that one patch on his chest for a couple of months. But it was all done for a good cause. They spun the wheel and they won a good chunk of cashola
0: used to love when Billy would go out and spin the wheel and it's fantastic that they got to the West Brunswick Footy Club. But for Lockie, what I want West Brunswick fans to do when they hear this podcast is tag Lockie in as many posts as you can. We (laughs) want to see if he can get a photo of that, him and Billy, or if anyone's got the vision feel free to shoot that out on social media and I'm sure, Nico, it'll get a run on the Vaffer Instagram page at some point. If we can find out who Lockie is, we might have to try and catch up with him on a podcast at a later date and hear how it all went. But that is fantastic stuff and that's what we want to do during these Club in Focus podcasts is shine a light on our footy club and talk about some of the pretty cool stories like playing on the MCG in a curtain raiser, if you don't mind, or appearing on the footy show. we got to move on, Nico, because we've got Polly Fletcher standing by and Beth Cook after that. And then not far away is the current senior coach, Nick Mitchell. But right now, Polly Fletcher is hanging on the line and she joins us on the Club in Focus podcast. Hello, Polly.
4: Hey, guys. How are you going?
0: We're going very well. How are you going? You coping okay during this time?
4: Yeah, yeah, not too bad. Um, i got a little seven-month-old bub at home to keep me extremely busy, so that really takes most of my focus when I'm not doing footy stuff when I can. So, yeah, but, yeah, interesting time.
0: Has it been nice to just be a mum for the last couple of months? Because according to your CV and resume when it comes to West Brunswick, I can't imagine you get much time away from the footy club.
4: <laughs> uh, I definitely definitely didn't. Um, it Um, is nice getting... full-time with the baby but I do I do wish I could have had him down the club and watching some games but yeah we'll see what happens for the rest of the year it'd be great to get him down and cheering for the Westies
1: now Paul can you tell us how you first got down to West Brunswick we've got you down here as having played for Surrey Hills in the VWFL uh, a few years ago now I believe it was 14 years in last year coming down to West Brunswick so how'd that all happen
4: uh, yeah, I played as a teenager and I've always, always loved footy, played a lot of school comp, um, yeah, and then found the probably one competition for women's footy back back in the day uh, when I was about 16 uh, and really loved playing with the Women's League back then. Um, then I got a bit of a shoulder injury in one of our finals and I just sort of hung up the boots back then uh, to focus on doing my VCE. But then I guess... I saw the AFLW All-Star Exhibition match back in 2016 and that really just completely lit the fire back in me to be wanting to get out and pull the boots back on and play footy. Um, As you mentioned before, I run our social media for the club and that's because I am extremely online. (laughs) I am on Twitter a lot. Um, So I was just talking about it on Twitter one day about how I really want to play footy again. I miss it. One of the... Girls at West Frey Logan reached out to me, and I'd been following her for a while. And she was like, "You know, come down check out the club." And I was like, "Oh yeah, not really close to my house at all, but I'll I'll come (laughs) down and check it out because I know you." And I dragged another mate, Cass, um, Cass Smith, who's now Cass Beer, down with me, and I just never left. (laughs) I loved it. I fell in love with it. So yeah, been an amazing couple of years back playing footy especially at West it's just my new home really
1: love it. You did mention you're the social media queen well you may not have said queen but I certainly am down (laughs) at West Brunswick and particularly recently during isolation and during lockdown it's probably more important than ever to keep the community together. I'm just going through some of the things that you've been doing recently we listened Mm -hmm. earlier to the West Brunswick is great video but the big fella Jason's been prominent in quite a few of your videos for the famous photo challenge as well your iso tricks and your game face challenge how do you come up with the ideas and how do you find the buy-in from the playing community
4: oh yeah it's just so much fun it's been so excellent to see everyone kind of getting around each other when we can't be together um and that was the main driver behind trying to do a bit of a west brunswick um challenge through our socials uh, Jason Morrison is just the biggest set set legend. He he's unbeatable. Like every week we'll set a challenge and then we're like, surely he can't win this one and then he always just pulls it out of the bag. <laughs> but um yeah, being a really great buy and I think people really love just interacting with it, even if they're not submitting their own kind of content. They just really love to be able to see their friends putting forward like excellent excellent content so it's been a lot of fun um this week we've gone a little bit different it would have been our pride round this week uh, with Hobbit this sunday so we're trying to create a virtual westy rainbow so everyone's sending in a pic of them fully kitted out in any color of the rainbow which we'll put together um to sort of mark Hobbit on sunday
0: That's unbelievable. So we encourage everyone to follow West Brunswick on Twitter and on Instagram so they can see the final product of that. Polly, can I ask you about the women's side? I know you just Mm. mentioned you came down you were part of it. At the very start of this podcast, uh, I mentioned the yoink and the famous game Mm. in 2018. I think it was the reserves grand final where you hadn't scored against Old Geelong and you came home with a wet sail. Uh, What was it like on that day and you're hearing yoink go around the boundary line after you've won the grand final?
4: It was absolutely insane. It was just one of the best moments of my life, that win. It was incredible. So I was assisting um, the reserve coach at the time, Josh, Josh Malikin. So I was down with him on the boundary and we were just blown away. The girls coming back in that final quarter, they just pulled Something out of the bag. Valakin gave an absolutely rousing three quarter time speech, which was brilliant and really lit a fire under some of these girls. And yeah, because we were scoreless, like you said, the whole game <laughs> um, really started of getting a bit nervous coming into the last quarter, and then just absolutely smashed it out of the park in that last in that last uh, quarter. Georgia Miller, who had actually um, come up. She'd been named as an emergency, um, so wasn't even going to be playing. Got called up, I think, either the night before or the day of. It was very, very late in the piece, and she ended up getting one of those four goals, and it was just such a fairytale moment. What an incredible
1: thing to watch. The notes were being given. It's play run, and big egos are nowhere to be seen, which is why I'm assuming Joey's nowhere to be seen down there. Because he
0: just... <laughs> you already an you just idiot. tell us about
1: the the inclusive community atmosphere and I suppose what the club means to you
4: yeah uh, I think like I said before the club is really everything to me outside of being a mum now <laughs> I, I remember joking to my mother's group one day that West Brunswick was my first baby and <laughs> my actual yes. baby was the second baby so you know it's just been um, an incredible environment. I know so much work was done early on before like the bulk of the women got down to the club about making sure it was an inclusive place and making sure it was one club. And so many props to Benno, who was president at the time, and senior coach Angus Ham- Hamilton Hammer, uh, who just absolutely drove that into the club very early on. You know, you had the boys sweeping out the girls locker rooms for, I think, months because the girls, you know, weren't, weren't around the footy environment, didn't know kind of what had to go into keeping the club ticking over. So the the boys were picking up a lot of that stuff early on, just out of the goodness of their heart to make sure the women wanted to stay around. Um, I think another massive part of our inclusiveness is we're really big on sort of, you know, um, embracing queer culture at the club and we were pretty prevalent and vocal through the uh, yes at marriage equality campaign and like I was saying before always celebrating a pride round and just making sure everyone no matter your gender your sexuality race status whatever everyone's welcome at west best players you know new players everyone can come down and have a kick and everyone will get around you.
0: Well, that's it's exactly what I'm going to come and do after Nico just said that. I'm going to come down and have a kick at some point because I love playing footy in black and white colours and West Brunswick has exactly We're that. And man. they've got oh, turn it up Nico. They've also got people <laughs> like you Polly who make the club so special and so great and we appreciate you giving us some of your time this morning on the Club in Focus podcast. Thanks, guys. It's been great. Well, that was Polly Fletcher. She's done just about everything you could possibly do at the West Brunswick Footy Club. And Nico, we now move from one power woman to another. Her name is Beth Cook. She lives and breathes the West Brunswick Footy Club, and she stands up for the club no matter what, always doing game day jobs that are above and beyond her current role as the president of the West Brunswick Magpies. And she joins us. Hello, Beth. Hello guys, how are you going? We're going very well, very well. Uh, during this time without footy to watch on a Saturday afternoon, I'm led to believe that this might be some of the first few Saturdays you might have missed down at uh, Ransford Oval in about uh, six or seven years now? Yeah,
5: yeah it's been a while. It's um, a bit like having a really extended off-season, but certainly first time we've kind of had weekends back in this household in a very long time. <laughs>
0: And how's that been? Are you just spending a bit too much time with your partner these days? Uh, Yeah, we're pretty cramped up
5: in a one-bedroom unit, 24-7 pretty much. So um, standing on each other's toes a fair (laughs) bit, but uh, making it work.
0: (laughs) So I mentioned your partner because he's he's a current player with the West Brunswick Footy Club. Is he the reason that you got involved in the very first place?
5: Yeah, he is. So he um, went down to West Brunswick in... 2013 following his mate Tom Pollock so we were friends from college um who had a connection to the club um and a few of our mates went down and started playing and haven't left so they're all still um at the club um he's played just over 100 games now um and has done a a heap of roles in in committee and, and stuff like that as well so that's kind of where my involvement kind of stemmed from.
1: You've held a few roles since coming down to the club in 2013. Obviously, first supporter, but you've been footy ops and you've also ran the women's footy as the footy manager and now clearly the first female president in club history. Why did you decide to take on those roles, particularly the presidency?
5: Uh, that's a really good question. Um, I think when I first started going down as a supporter kind of in 2013, I was spending a lot of time kind of watching from the car and then Henry decided to join footy ops in 2014. Uh, we had one car between us, so I would end up being at the ground at kind of the crack of dawn anyway. I used to take a pillow and kind of just nap in the back before any footy actually started being played on the day. Um, and then in 2017, when uh, the women's football started up, um, I was still kind of pretty uh, long-term injured and was looking for a way to get involved. So I ended up joining football operations uh, that Henry was already in. I was already kind of at all those games and was available to do those jobs. So I put my hand up to do that before I put my hand up to play. In 2018, uh, I filled the inaugural uh, women's manager role um, just as kind of a way to... ESAD transition from being a club that had men's teams to a club that had men's and women's teams and having a voice for the women on the executive um, while also doing um, football operations. So I was the first woman to step into the football operations manager's role as well, which was really exciting. I think that the footy ops role is what positions me really well to kind of step into the role of president. So when um, I was asked to consider doing that and then that happened in November 2018. Uh, I kind of didn't find the transition to be uh, too drastic. I had two pretty large roles the year before um, and it kind of made the transition a little bit easier just with my background in managing kind of the logistics and understanding how that side of the football club works. So that was really a, Exciting change to, to make that year.
1: Now, Beth, I just want to ask you about women's football. And we've seen over the past few years, particularly at West Brunswick, an explosion in player numbers. Uh, you've gone from a couple of teams with the men's I've yeah, got six teams, including the women's. I want to know, as the president, with the, that explosion of numbers at the club, how you plan to face those challenges of exponential growth and ensure that you can offer a game to every player. Now, I know it's a, it's a great problem to have. So, what sort of things are you guys putting in place to ensure that you can uh, accommodate everyone, both on and off field? Yeah, it's
5: certainly been a challenge, and and you're right, it is a good problem to have. We've certainly been on the opposite end of that spectrum with our men's team um, in our history at the club, and and this is a very different scenario. Uh, It's kind of been the case since uh, 2017 that we've always had more players than we have had spots. Um, The way we kind of when about it initially was really trying to provide kind of practice matches and things like that for our players and trying to get everyone as many games as possible. Uh, We also have a really kind of concrete selection policy that basically guarantees you games based on your availabilities and your training so um, everyone will get some matches. Um, It's been great to kind of be able to spread the positions across uh, three teams which means that we uh, don't have as many people missing out uh, week in and week out. But it certainly had its issues um, and it's, it's difficult to kind of please everyone. And we've had the same issues before in our men's side as well. Um, it's certainly a challenge, but I think that the coaching staff um, on our women's side in particular, Josh Mellican and um, Marnie Silva, who are our senior and reserve coaches, manage it really, really
0: well. Now, Beth, uh, most footy clubs, of course, run on the help of the volunteers and of the players in in West Brunswick's case, sort of everyone's an equal down there, but before they're sort of on the committee or in a volunteer role, they're just supporters who come down every week, like yourself, started out watching every Saturday. Are there some down there that just you've seen from the first day you were there and, and they just don't leave because they love the place? Is there a few that are around that just offer their support because they love the club?
5: Yeah, absolutely. Certainly, most of our volunteers come from, from our players, but someone who's been there from the start is uh, Stephen Ocker Uh He has done absolutely everything that there is to do at the club. Um, and we've got a couple of um, kind of his mates from his playing days who are always around the club, which is really good in, in Bruce Ivy and Cliff Bastow, um, who are also Baffle Life members, um, and they very pretty consistent support behind the club. Um, someone else I'd probably like to give a shout-out to is the Divas family, who are just their ongoing support of the club has just been fantastic. They're still at as many games as they can kind of get to and a big supporter of um, our Shane Divas annual cricket day and, and things like that.
0: A couple of others that have come through as well. Uh, Chris German's wife, Julia, uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Billy Irving's I, dad was yep. there. The mother of life members, Peter and Robert, is it Guada? Yeah. Hilary Grover's dad, Hans, brings the yep. Reserves Girls Powerade, Nico. Uh, But I love this one. I love this one because this gets overlooked a lot and I know there's a lot of angst around circles of community footy when it comes to finals times, but West Brunswick want to pay tribute to all the dogs that come week after (laughs) week and they're tied up on the sidelines supporting both the men and the women. So, I mean, that's important for local footy that people can go for a walk and they can bring their dog out there. But have you ever had one, Beth, run onto the ground in the middle of a game?
5: Ah, uh, yeah, that's happened a few times. <laughs> I think it's kind of inevitable, isn't it? When they're on the sideline, um, we normally the dogs are pretty well behaved, but sometimes it's just a bit too exciting. Um, if a ball flies past, I've had a few <laughs> pauses in game play over the last couple of years for sure.
0: Oh, it's outstanding. And uh, and for yourself, Beth, I mean, when footy does return, just in a couple of sentences, how excited are you for that and to see the West Brunswick boys, girls, men and women running around again?
5: Yeah, it'll be really exciting. I think that people are kind of chomping at the bit to um, get back out there. It'll be really nice for us to be able to kind of get together as a community. Again, I think that's one of the things that we've missed the most is that sense of community and being able to kind of support each other and check in with everyone at the club. And I just think that you can't beat, the vibe at um Ransford and McAllister ovals on a Saturday when we have six games on and all our supporters there so um I'm hoping that at, at some point soon we'll we'll get back to that and can all kind of get around the club and and throw our support um behind each other again
0: uh, we all hope and sing from the same hymn book Beth thanks for joining us on the club in focus podcast uh, take care of yourself and hopefully uh, we see some footy back out at Ransford oval in the not too distant future Thanks very much, guys. Well, that was Beth Cook, the current president of the West Brunswick Footy Club. Nico, fascinating to hear from both her and from Polly, both bubbly characters around the West Brunswick Footy Club. We're about to chat to another one who I know pretty well in Nick Mitchell, uh, former St. Bernard's man, superstar, captain of the footy club. But That's on another podcast at a later date. Uh, He'll join us in a moment. Can we just spend a minute talking about how these two women have created this magnificent inclusiveness around the footy club And not only that, recognised and celebrated some of their past champions and current champions of their footy club.
1: Absolutely. And it's no more evident than the fact that they've both been named the club person of the year in 2018 and 2019, respectively. Um, We've seen, obviously, as we've already spoken about the explosion in women's football, those two being two of the women at the forefront of that. So, it's really interesting, to, particularly to have a look through their recent women's history and some of their greats when it comes to the women's, because we know, and we're about to go through some of the men's, I know that, but particularly um, I'll just start off with Mel Lindsay, who won the Premier B Blue Best yes. and Fairest a couple of years ago, and Bridie Walsh. Now, she is and always has been a VAFA Media favourite. She's <laughs> on the front cover of the record for the first ever. Big V women's game that was in Ballarat. Nice. I remember that she was part of that team. Um, so she was on the front cover of the record, which was amazing. And she's always putting her hand up, ready to help out at all times, which they all do down at West Brunswick. And that's why we love that inclusive, fantastic club
0: and you can check all the videos out that they do that uh, Beth and Polly talked about on their Twitter page at West Brunswick FC and across Instagram they do some magnificent social media work what about on the men's side Nico I mean a club of 60 years plus has probably got some decorated superstars across the journey is there a couple that stick out in your memory that you'd like to make mention of well one particularly Bruce Ivey um,
1: 269 games down there now Bruce As Beth mentioned, is a life member of the VAFA as well. Um, as being a stalwart down at West Brunswick. Him, uh, Cliff Basto and wife Mavis Basto are also VFA life members. Ma- Mavis being one of only four women to have that honour. But Bruce himself, as I said, 269 games, seven club Best and Fairest oh. awards. Now, he's a ruckman. He was a big what? ruckman. You can imagine him just bullying back in the day. Three times VAFA Best and Fairest award winner. Also from a similar era being Terry Allen as well. So he was a for Best and Fairest winner twice back-to-back in
0: 69 and 70. I love this because he's recognised as a club champion and so he should. Billy Irving, he named Billy Morgan because in the club newsletter after his first standout performance, the scribe got his name wrong and the error stuck. He's won flags, league medals, a rep squad and so much more. He started as a tall midfielder, drifted forward to kick bags, But on his first standout performance, they got his name wrong, which is a little bit unfortunate for Billy Morgan or Billy Irving. Uh, Now, this number pricked my ears when I saw it. 432 Waffer games for Bob Baker back in 2002. Now, the number stands out because that's what Boomer Harvey's on, the AFL-VFL games record holder of 432. That is a lot of years playing footy at any level. It took boomer over 20 years with north melbourne to get there so and the afl play more games than we do in the amos so Bobby's taken a hell of a long time to get there, and now that he's there, it's my understanding he's the current game's record holder with the West Brunswick Footy Club. And I also want to make mention of this man because I think we spoke a bit earlier on about how fit they would have been when Peter Norman was around. Neville Silito was a Vic athletics coach in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. So over 20 years, he's been down at the West Brunswick Footy Club, making them run lap after lap after lap. And you can imagine in the old days, Nico, not much light out there, or you can do it training when it gets dark, Indian file around the ground. How many hours of Indian file do you reckon the West Brunswick Footy Club put in between the 60s, 70s, and 80s?
1: Well, oh, between him and a Peter Norman, that would have been brutal. <laughs> oh. There's no way you or I would ever have lasted beyond half an hour into a training session down there. <laughs> that would have been absolutely brutal. The last one that I just want to quickly touch on before we move on um, from the late 90s and early 2000s, was Adam Kinane, or they called him Stinger Kinane. Stinger. Six-time club best and fairest, But he won a Hutchison and two Fullerton medals over the space of four years. So three being BNFs over the space of four years.
0: He's absolutely outstanding and and we mentioned him a bit earlier on, Angus Hamilton, the 2015 Coach of the Year. Our next guest is the current coach and I want to ask him, Nick Mitchell, about playing under Angus Hamilton about five or six years ago. Now he's taken the reins at West Brunswick and he's been good enough to join us on the Club in Focus podcast. It's a great hello to Nick Mitchell. Joey, Nick. Talk to me about doing a whole preseason. You're on the verge of probably a couple of practice games to get your feet under the desk with uh, the West Brunswick Footy Club and then uh, a global pandemic hits and you're not allowed to play, train or see each other.
6: Yeah, it wasn't ideal. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, we've done all the hard work. We played one intra-club practice match in the midst of all this this breaking out. I just started to, you know, uh, up until that point in time was a bit of, Again, a West Brunswick thing. You just never quite know where, where, you, where you sit entering a season because players just continually walk through the door off the street. There was a few exciting new additions and it was just, just starting to grow in confidence a little bit and then this hit. So, yeah, we've just been trying to keep them engaged um, as much as possible through this period and fingers crossed we, we get back to play, but who knows?
0: Can we go back to 2014 with you, Nick? You were part of the West Brunswick Premiership side under Angus Hamilton. Um, I know Mm. the year before it might have been, or in 2012, you were an assistant coach at St Bernard's or an interim coach for a few weeks. Yeah, it was
6: 13. It was the year before.
0: And I got to spend, I think it was 10 weeks as you took out... Training every Thursday night, so I got to see what you were like as a coach. When you went over to West Brunswick, did you just go as a player or were you in a coaching capacity then?
6: Yeah, Joey, I, I was all at sea, um, to be honest. The, ending 2013, I was quite confident. But given, look, how that all unfolded at St. Bernard's was not ideal. Um, you know, mid-season to, to sack a coach um, and take over and, and you know, we weren't in a great position. And managed to win more than we lost in the run home and survive and stay in A grade. And, uh, I thought, you know, I did enough, put my hand in the hat in the ring to, to coach them in that next season. And, uh, you know, that's all history now, how that all unfolded. we well, don't need to go into that. Uh, I, I then went overseas at the end of the year for, for a couple of months with my then um, partner. Um, and, you know, got back and things were how they were. And, it was too late to get a job. I was left uh, with nothing to do and uh, we'd recently moved into Brunswick and by about, I reckon it was about April, I was obviously starting to annoy my uh, wife <laughs> uh, being around home too much. and She basically kicked me out the door and said, for God's sake, will you go and find you know, a footy club and, and get involved um, in some capacity? And I knew nothing about West Brunswick other than, you know, I'm a, I'm a amateur footy tragic. Um, so I knew of their existence and, uh, I knew they were a, a very proud and, uh, full of, you know, history, um, football club. Um, I just walked in the door. I reckon it was a Thursday night. Season had, had got underway and, um, no one knew me. I didn't know anyone, literally. And, um, just asked if I could train. And it went from there.
1: Mitch, can I just ask, because looking through your playing history particularly, and we'll get into the Fitzroy days in a moment, but you were 21, 22 back in the 94, 95 season, meaning I'm not that great at maths, but in 2014 when you were playing for West Brunswick, (laughs) you were on the other side of 40. Um, Can I just ask what was the drive to play into your 40s? Because you don't see too many players these days, particularly with the way the games played, played to that age.
6: Oh, look, to be honest, Nick, I'd still be playing now if, if my body <laughs> allowed it. I'm a, I'm a competitive beast. Um, and, and that's why I'm, you know, involved in coaching and, and, and then not necessarily as head coach, you know, I, I returned to West Brunswick as an assistant under Hammer. Um, because I just, yeah, like being involved in football clubs and, and competition. So I, I guess because I could, and, and, and when I went down uh, as a, yeah, I was 41. It was with the intention of just training and, and, you know, getting that vibe of a Thursday night back and just getting involved. And, and I, I'm i pretty certain I didn't have any intention to play. And it took some coaxing. It, it would have been five or six weeks of training, I reckon, before I played. You know, as, as 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 the intensity of training built up and a few niggles and a hamstring here and a calf there was probably, you know, um, could have gone either way, but I continued to because I, I fell in love with the joint and and in particular Hammer. You're yeah, lucky enough to to call him a friend now and 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 be still working with him. So yeah, just felt enamoured with the joint and I wanted to get involved.
1: Sounds like very similar injury troubles that Joey had at the age of 18, oh, let alone yeah, 41. Yeah. Can I just ask you to <laughs> reminisce on that grand final and um the celebrations of winning? Oh, it was. <laughs>
6: one and and you've played goodness me, you know, probably you know, close to four hundred games of footy, I would have thought, um, you know, senior footy, and never won a flat. Um, obviously got really, really close, you know, in the most disappointing moment of my career, you know, being captain of a of a side that was always you know, high tight teachers say was always gonna win that that um, two thousand and, and two flag we missed out there and missed out on a, yeah, another one two years earlier 2000 where where we were expected to win again and, and uh, that's, as they do stormed over the top of us in the last quarter um, so it was for me it was euphoric I had played in a it's nothing not quite camp but I had played in a super Rules a couple actually by that point I think I, I remember the day vividly um, I remember yeah Lots of bits and pieces, <laughs> not because it's been played over and over again by the boys. Um, what sticks is the, the task at hand on the day or, or that season to, to beat the previously undefeated team. And a team you know that was just belting everyone. We weren't expected to win. Made it even um, you know more memorable, to be honest. Um, the celebration, uh, they were big. Uh, they were really big. Bigger for others because I had to front up on the Sunday in a Super Rules Grand Final, um, so I yeah played um, yeah still drunk I'm pretty sure um, I, I think I walked in, I walked in the door about three a.m. Um, that Sunday and was up yeah and back at it playing uh, with a, with a, bl- a blown up knee too like I I only just made it to the line. In the, in the grand final day four, so yeah, hobbled around. Oh, I was useless, absolutely useless. So, I remember we won by half a kick, and I reckon I had one kick um, that day against uh, it was Marston the Bald Eagles. So yeah, it was a very memorable weekend.
0: Nick, can I can we go back to that two thousand and two grand final with St Bernard's the Premiership? Uh, Danny Byrne spoke very fondly about that year recently with us, um, and just the impact that you had on the whole side and he talked about obviously the heartbreak of falling just short I think he said it was either the Thursday or the Friday night the last run before the game but he also talked about what you did the morning of the game in terms of either sending a message or giving a call to every one of those players um, and I mean it's been 18 or so years since that flag that it almost feels like you are part of it I'm sure maybe for yourself you don't necessarily feel like that but the learnings you took out of that year, and then supporting your teammates on that particular day—is that something that you took into coaching when you came around to coaching? Not only St. Bernard's now with West Brunswick, but also at Old Geelong.
6: Yeah. Um, so I've obviously listened to the. To, I've listened to all your podcasts. To be honest, so I really enjoy them. Um obviously, listened to the St. Bernard's one, and I heard, Burnsy's words, and I've spoken to him since. And yeah, you know, I was chuffed with with what he said, um, brought back a lot of memory. You know, I called each individual player, um, it was heartbreaking, but I'd injured the hamstring on the in the second semi final two weeks before. So when I did that and did it did it well and I'd done a few so I knew uh, that it wasn't great. Um, I knew then that I was, you know, gonna be long odds to, to make it to the line. But through some uh, some witchcraft, to be honest. Um, uh, a lot of local footballers will know um, Joy Mansa up in Heidelberg, who, who uh, you know um, is is known as the, the Tendon Flicker. She did a lot of work on me, and I thought I'd got there, to be honest. And that Friday, wasn't Friday enough, it was a Friday night of the Sunday grand final. I thought I was going to get to the line. It felt really good through the early part of training, and to this day I'm kicking myself because we're red hot favourites, we were going to win Uh, I I tell myself a lesser person would have just glided through training as I was, but at the end I decided, nah, I really want to test this thing, I don't want to do the wrong thing and you know, five minutes in, launch into a kick and and do it again and sure enough I I literally pulled it off the bone that Friday night, so that night was heartbreaking I was in tears Um, I you know, a St. Bernard's person through and through all my life. My dad, dad's dad, all yeah, the whole family were, were involved um, through the years. And um, yeah, I'd missed out. By the next day, yeah, I, I'd sort of put my captain's hat back on. Yeah, I had to do what I thought was right by my teammates and and, and do as much as possible to get them up and do what we had to do and win. So yeah, I called them all. Look, um, they made me feel absolutely. Well, that's really involved you know as far even the amateurs by allowing me to go up and, and accept the trophy with with game day captain um Benny. um yeah so yeah oh, it, it was heartbreaking but you know i still felt a part of it but you know not not like danny makes it sound but, you know they say you know he says that they feel like i was i still reflect on it and you know it was it was one of those Massive missed
1: opportunities. Mitch, I just want to delve back into your playing days. In the mid-90s, you've had four seasons where you're on the list at Fitzroy. Played a handful of games there in the AFL, obviously. I just want to list some of the teammates who you played alongside. We have got Paul Roos, Chris Johnson, Johnny Barker, Jared Malloy, Ross Lyon, Jeff Hogg. Who, if any, do you regard as probably the biggest influence on not just your playing, but your coaching career?
6: Oh, so there's there's a question I've never been asked.
1: You know, you're you're a kid,
6: uh, so I was, you know, 19 when I went there, and and so 22, 23 by the time I finished. And the first year you play, well, I did play, you know, all VFL footy, uh, so in the twos, and then you break into the side and and play a few games. Um, look, Rudi when he was there was a great influence, you yeah, he was. My biggest hero of that, of that group, um, an outstanding footballer and obviously a short what he went on and did as a coach. But Rossi to Ross Lyon, uh, who, you know, I, I have called on, on occasions in the, you know, last few years and, um, for advice and, um, yeah. So, so probably those two. Um, my latter day, you know, the last year of captaincy was Brad Boyd. He was a terrific leader as well. I was all crying shame, to be honest. Um, you know, when I reflect back, particularly in my first year, the team, the squad that we had was capable of winning a lot of games of football and, and purely for the financial reasons from that moment. You now they, one by one, they disappeared. Um, yeah, you had Gary Pertz the, the, that, that year or that pre-season or the year before, and then Lynchy, and then obviously Rusey, Gail, Dundas, Broderick, um, Jamie Alley, the names go on and on. And, and we were all left you know, bare bones by by the last year and it wasn't a great team. But, boy, we were close. So I still keep in touch with a lot of those guys. Um, so, yeah, their influence, that Fitzroy's influence is profound without um, still being there. Old Geelong, I was learning on the, on the run there. Um, I was still playing. So um, all... <laughs> So I I did go there as a coach, but it became obvious very early days that they needed an on-field leader. So I played and coached. Yeah, I was still finding my way then, to be honest. Um, you know, I was probably a little bit too aggressive, if anything, in terms of the way I went about it. I've mellowed a little bit. Um, so you constantly, I'm still learning now, um, and you've got to just adapt to the the different groups that. You know, you, you get to coach. Um, it's going to have to be a, a, a different experience this year with with a new group.
0: So, Mitch, Nick just asked you about uh, your playing days with Fitzroy in the AFL. You then go and coached the Fitzroy Ammo side at Brunswick Street Oval. Did it feel at all like you were going home in any way? Yeah, it did. Yeah,
6: absolutely. You yeah, you only had to... Uh, to To exit the rooms before you know the start of the game, as players run out with the song blaring, (laughs) um, which is still one of the great traditions of any um, local football club, uh, to make it feel like yeah it was Fitzroy, yeah absolutely Um, the you know the jumper, um, it felt like it was going home. First pre-season I did, we trained on Brunswick Street Oval quite a bit, so it it had a, a real feeling of going home. Loved it. My time.
0: And we mentioned a bit earlier on there was a, a game back in 2003 between West Brunswick and Fitzroy that was a curtain raiser at the MCG and, and Nick <laughs> talked about this healthy rivalry that the two sides have. Now that you've gone across or back to West Brunswick from Fitzroy, do you get a sense that there's a lot of similarities but a lot of differences in both these two clubs?
6: Yeah, a lot of similarities but a lot of differences. It's hard to put a, a, a
0: finger on it,
6: a, a transient group. Both, you know, in and out the door, from from various um, parts of Australia, to be honest. Um, So that's very similar. Um, You know, obviously they're they're cross town neighbours. Yeah, so there's there's there's, there's unique differences to the two groups. Um, West Brunswick's uh, inclusiveness and uh, social
0: side of things is is next level it's
6: got to be experienced to be believed but they they are very similar in a lot of ways
0: uh, Angus Hamilton was the 2015 coach of the year and he was the premiership coach and you mentioned a bit me earlier he's a great mate of yours what was his influence like on you when you came down as a a, a sprightly 40 year old down to West Brunswick
6: <laughs> well you had no idea who who I was which which was brilliant uh, he's He's a a smart enough judge to realise, probably after that first session, that, you know, I I could play a bit because I could handle the football. Um, And then he went to work with convincing me to play. Um, He's a unique individual, Hammer, but in a lot of ways, a lot like me. He doesn't tolerate bulls, which is is very much like me. you know, he can at times have a, have a short temper, which which I can. But we're both we are both mellowing. Um, we were going, yeah, well, we still are, I guess, to work together this year um, as coach and assistant coach. So he, he has he has returned as my assistant. So it's going to be interesting to see how that dynamic works. Uh, relationships yep. is is him. Um, he just knew how to, yeah get to people, get inside their head, um, motivate people, motivate a group. Yeah. I mean, to do what he pulled off in 2014 and, and beat that side, a Hawthorne side. Um, yeah, well, we all knew at that point he was a great coach, but that took him into the upper echelons. He's a fantastic football person. Um, yeah. And we've got a lot in common. We just, yeah, we just, we just click, we get along. Um, so, um, yeah, one of the things I was looking forward to this year was was working with him. Hopefully we still get to do it. Um, I said earlier, who knows?
0: Let's all hope so, Mitch. Uh, thanks for joining us on the Club in Focus podcast. It's been fascinating to go back through your career, your time with St Bernard's, Fitzroy, Old Geelong, and now back with West Brunswick. Hopefully we do have some footy to talk about throughout 2020. But uh, if not, we look ahead to 2021 with great, Enjoyment and passion that we get footy back for the full season next year. Take care, mate. We'll chat soon. Thanks,
6: boys. Been a pleasure.
0: Well, Nico, it has been a massive edition of the Club in Focus podcast today, celebrating all things West Brunswick Magpies. We've had Stephen ocker Fife, Benny Sexton, Polly Fletcher, Beth Cook, and we just finished chatting with the current coach, Nick Mitchell, who is a journeyman of the Amos, they've been around since 1959 the same as Mequacare, nico who are our proud partners throughout the club in focus podcast not-for-profit organization doing wonderful things check them out mequacare.org.au i need to take a deep breath after all of that because there's a lot to take in from the west brunswick footy club
1: there is a lot to ingest from that 60 70 minutes worth of content that was absolutely fantastic we were we were excited coming into this we had the five guests and I think one of the things that I've taken out from that is the transition from the, you know, the late fifties to now where the clubs come from, what they've gone through. And just the amount of stories, like we heard Ocker, he still laughs. And mind you, his memory is unbelievable. He still laughs about things that happened during the seventies and eighties and nineties. And I mean, it's amazing just to see what they've done even more recently when Mitch was playing and um, Hamilton, Angus Hamilton was coached to now the women. So it's just an amazing story um, for that club and uh, no, I've really, really enjoyed this and I think I'm going to be laughing about some of office <laughs> comments for uh, years to come, to be perfectly honest. Oh,
0: I tend to agree with you. Now, you mentioned uh, Nick Mitchell. That's my takeaway is just how seamlessly he fitted in to a new club after being – he is a, a champion and an icon of St Bernard's and, and of Fitzroy to come down at a 41 years old fit in like a hand in a glove and then now he's come back and he's coaching them albeit without footy at the moment, but when it does return, he'll lead them with distinction. And, and those 22 or the 44 senior players and seniors and reserves will get so much out of Nick Mitchell. There's a couple of other things I just want to briefly touch on. You talked about all those alumni at the start and, and Bobby Hawke and, and Peter Norman. They've had three players play VFL football. Greg Fife played a game for Collingwood in the 80s. Ian Hughes played with North Melbourne and Johnny Price played with Hawthorne in the 60s. And this is to finish on, Nico. One of the notes and the highlights that came through in the timeline of the West Brunswick Footy Club, I think this is fitting to finish on. In 2012, Warwick Baker got a wedgie from a bloke at Lilydale and it had to come off as some of his jocks had snapped. Uh, that was sent in from uh, former President Ralph Tuzell, no one's been given any further context on that. So while we're asking for Lockie <laughs> to send in a photo of his chest up against Billy Brownless on the AFL Footy Show, if there's a photo of Warwick Baker from 2012 where he got a wedgie from a bloke at Lillydale, also get in touch and let us know about that at Vava HQ on Twitter and at Vava HQ on Instagram. Nick Armstead, this has been a massive Club in Focus podcast edition. Thank you to you. And for all your help and for everyone at West Brunswick for sending in all the notes and for being part of it. There's still plenty of time for other clubs to get involved. All you have to do is send an email to nick at vaffer.com.au or reach out to him via the Facebook page or the Twitter page and we will put your club in focus. We do it every week. All thanks to Mequicare and we can't wait to do it all again very soon. (laughs)